You've seen Greg on Benchmob as the hot takes guy, the lover of Mets, Giants, Nets, and of course, can't forget LeBron. We get to know Greg as the motivator, the recruiter, the curator of high level basketball and how it should be played. This episode, get to know Coach Greg. Yeah, 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 what you know about Benchmob? Uh-huh. Just speaking the facts that you want to hear. The rapper jersey, the vision is clear. Diamonds glisten like a chandelier. You know what I'm here for, like Michelle Lynch. It clutch time, we do not flinch. Real brothers, we do not switch. Hit home runs with the right pitch. Who run the city? <gasps> what to do when they hating on you? I feel like Kobe 2010. Taking an L, all I need is a win. When? This is business, you know how they go. They playing the seats, now it's time to grow. Tune in now, gotta be in the know. Showtime, bitch, my butter blow. We know. Yeah, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Bench Mob ENT podcast. We got a little something special, a little different for you. Greg is on the other side of this. He's getting interviewed today. We do an episode about him and his coaching journey, training, basketball, everything like that. How you doing tonight? I'm good, bro. It's it's, it's a little weird to be on the other side of this, but I'm good. I'm look. I've been looking forward to this. What initially sparked your interest in coaching, knowing you being that you played ball and you started coaching, you started training at a younger age than most of it. It wasn't like you, all right, I couldn't play no more. Oh, I got slow. I got out of shape. I'm, I'm fat. I tore my ACL. It was nothing like that. It was just, oh, Greg started a training business. Greg's coaching now. So what sparked that for you to be like, all right, I'm going I'm to get into coaching? Ruben did that uh, honestly that's really what happened it, it kind of happened by mistake because the training thing training players was all because of ruben i was doing that because i wanted to train him i saw at an early age he had talent that i didn't have right just athletic phys- athletically physically the things he could do on a basketball court right there were things that they there were things that i couldn't do so i i no, I noticed that pretty early on and I wanted to be there and wanted to be as helpful as I could to him to make sure he could get to places I get, didn't get to. So that's where it came from. And he uh, it went from us training together and that's kind of how we got into the whole, oh, now nah, I'm a trainer, right? Where I'm training all these kids and people are coming to me and a word of mouth kind of got around. And I started training players that are pretty good, including you. So it, it kind of got around pretty quickly and caught fire. And then from that, you know, went from trying to, from, Training, I went from that to like trying to find a good AAU program for him to play in. And we we stumbled on the Unity Legends in Wellington. And, and then I was just kind of sitting on the bench in Wellington throughout the season. I didn't say a word. I didn't, until Wellington started to ask me to say, say something, right? Like we and B Wellington got close on that on that journey kind of with Ruben on that, and that team, his team. And uh, there was a weekend where Wellington had to go away. <laughs> he had a, uh, something going on with his, fa- with his family. He could be at a tournament and he asked me to coach and I did. And it was, it was nerve wracking. And then from there, it turned into that, turned into him asking me to coach the next year and the next year and the next year. And 
eventually it was like, oh yeah, you're no longer the assistant guy, you're the you're the head coach guy. So I that's kind of how it all started. But it was it wasn't me seeking to co- be a coach. I never I never dreamed about it. It was just something that kind of happened that way. But it was uh it was complete happenstance, I guess you could say. Hey, that's how I typically start off for a lot of people. Um obviously you're not at this point of like fathers and whatnot, but typically you look at Dion, you look at LeVar Ball. They all wanted to be involved in their son's career. You wanted to be a part of Ruben's career. So, like you said, happenstance that ends up happening. Wellington's out one weekend. You end up coaching, and boom, like, now you're coaching. In your young coaching career so far, what has been the most difficult thing about coaching? Um, I, I, would, say it's, I would say it's definitely – dealing with the parents for <laughs> dealing with the parents is definitely hard. It's not easy. Um, coaching. I mean, I mean, look, especially in AAU because everybody wants to find a coach that's going to be their, their kid's advocate, right? Because it's hard to find that. It's hard to find good coaches and it's hard to find coaches that are going to let your kid be the front man of a team or be the best player on a team. And that's what everybody's looking for. Even if their kid's not capable of doing those things and capable of being the best player on a team, they want this, they want for their kid. Um, it's like people think that the only way people put people play college basketball is by doing one thing, which is scoring a ton. That's just so untrue, right? There's so many ways you can be appealing to a basketball team, a college basketball team, a college basketball coach. You can be appealing because you're a great rebounder or a great uh, passer. You just always make the right play. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot more Draymond Greens than there are LeBron James, you know, guys. So uh, people don't understand that, but that's the hardest thing is, dealing with those parents, but those parents are very forward, right? They come up to you, you're young, you're young, I'm younger. So because I'm younger, they think they can kind of say whatever they want and approach me any kind of way. And we've, we, I've had, I've had to learn how to deal with those situations. And I haven't always dealt with them the best. Sometimes, sometimes I'm cursing the guy, a guy out. I don't even you know, or it just kind of goes to that place. Or sometimes it's, it's certainly, it's not always like that. Um, it can certainly be better, but I, I've, I've had a parent, Ron literally walk onto the court middle of the game and ask me why his son's not playing middle of a game. You know what I mean? Uh, never forget that. Never forget that. So it, 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 it that's the hardest part. It shouldn't be, but it, it, it is the hardest part because you're playing that game a little bit. It's, it's, it's political, but I'm someone who prides myself on not letting it become political. I'm playing the best players I can. Um, I'm putting guys in the best roles I think that are best for them that are going to allow them to play basketball at the next level based on what I see them do, you know, and, and that's that I, I, I try to do right by everybody on the team, no matter how good you are. Um, I try to get everybody out there. Uh, I think anybody who's been around me can speak to that, like, you know, like you, you've been around me, but uh, I had Malcolm coaching me last year, two years ago, I guess now, or you know, I guess it was last year, and he could speak to that too, right, so it, it's it's hard. It's hard to be a good guy in the coaching space, but I, I try. I coached AAU for a little bit. It was girls, not the same experience, but the as you said, the good guy as a coach is such a tough, tough thing to do, I think, on any level, because everybody wants playing time. And mm-hmm. honestly, which I'm sure you've always had to cross, you've got to have that conversation like, your child sucks. I, I, can't, I, I can't play your child. If, if if I want my team to succeed and I want all the other players to get the right recognition, because the only way anybody is getting any college love is if we're winning, I got to put the best product out there, which I think is kudos to you. That's the toughest thing because parents sometimes don't want to have that 
you know, realization like, hey, your child's best bet to get to college is actually go study because he's not good at ball. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough balance between that kid who's not that good and you still want him to have an enjoyable experience playing AAU. But also, I think a lot of these parents just think that it's equal opportunity and that everybody's going to play. And at this level, when you I'm coaching 17U. I, I don't know if everyone can say this, but Long Jun threw me right into 17U right away. I didn't coach the kid. I coached the kids in one year. I coached third graders like a year. It was a nightmare experience. I hated it. And then I coached 17U for the rest of my time. I, I, I started doing 17U and assisting them, uh, those kids at that age. And then now I've been coaching 17U ever since. And that's not easy because as competitive as it is at this level, those kids who are just here for a good time, it's going to be hard to find your minutes. You, you try your best to do that. But I think the, the thing I've set out to do with coaching the most because of my basketball career and how my basketball career went um, is try to be an advocate for all the kids the best way I could and put kids that aren't playing a ton in high school or don't have a good relationship with their high school coaches or other coaches they've had. So you don't know how good they are. People just don't know how good they are. I try to put those kids in a position to be successful. That's the only thing I ever set out to do. It's about them. Um, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot of fun to see them come into the come into themselves um, as well. I mean, I've, I've coached kids who have come in with stigmas like college coaches may not like them, where people in New Jersey basketball circles are talking about them and they don't like that kid, right? For whatever the heck the reason is. But I try to find whatever the hell it is they do well and put them in the best position to do that every single time down the court. And because of it, it's 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 turned a lot of kids going to play college basketball, which is insane. I mean, insane. I never thought that I'd have that kind of impact on anybody in my entire life. But to see a kid who came in with no prospects, no college prospects at all, go from that to being to having college offers and having options, it, it is it is mind blowing. And it's still, I think it's the thing that keeps me going back to it because there's a lot of things that suck about coaching. There are period. All right, travel sucks. All right, it, it sucks to go to Pennsylvania and play an 8 a.m. game because. The guys took a crap on themselves and didn't play hard against the team they should have beat the day before. So they're playing at 8 a.m. on a Sunday um, or go or go go seven hours away to Pittsburgh or, or or seven hours away to Virginia. Right. And lose and go go one and two when you're, your weekend's over early. But you still got to take that eight hour trip, that trek home. Right. Like there's a lot that sucks about it. The, the good thing about it is that every single tournament is a building block with these kids. So I, I tell the parents that all the time. It's like no matter how bad they look week one it's not gonna look like that in week in week 17 in the summer when we really get ramping up or we're in Atlantic City or whatever it's live period it's not gonna look like that and if it is if it does look like that then my ass didn't do a good job I did I did a terrible job <laughs> something I'm not doing is something I'm doing isn't isn't working all right I'm not resonating with your kids so you can hold me accountable for that but no nah, I mean it's been thankfully every time I've said that I've, I've looked good because it, it's changed you guys play better as time goes on and I get the best out of the people that we coach. It's a, it's a lot of fun, man. It's a lot of fun. On the flip side, would you say that the most rewarding part of coaching has been those players getting scholarship offers and those players getting college love? Has that been probably the most rewarding part of it? Yeah, that's, that's a part of it. I think the other part of it, too, is, is um, the relationships you form with these kids, too. Uh, it, it, it really does feel like a lifetime. Like you're going to know these guys forever when you coach them. Um, they're so thankful to you, right? Uh, it, it, because 
And it's because I can relate to these kids. I, you know what I mean? Like, I know what it's like to sit on the bench. I know what it's like to not get looked at. I know what it's like to, to, for no one to think twice about you, right? Even though you can play, like, you know you can play. You know what I mean? But having someone there to believe in you, I think it's a, it goes a long way. I think that's the most rewarding thing is seeing the kid just to walk out into the court and play their brand of basketball, whatever that may be, and be the best version of themselves. That is the part of it that's most rewarding to me. More so than the college, because the college stuff will come. If you're, if you're good enough, it'll come, right? And that's that's amazing. I, I love to be a part of that. I love to hear about it. I love to see it. But just watching these kids get to play their own game and play freely, man, it, it's a lot of fun because the, oftentimes these kids are much better than what you think they are. And then you, you just got to be put in the right position to do that, right, to show you and, and have someone, and someone, have someone who allows them to play through mistakes is the biggest thing. And that's what I try to let these guys do because so many coaches – don't you know and i know you know them don't let you play through mistakes at all and it's just crippling i mean it cripples the basketball experience for these kids so i think that's the most fun i have um with one of them i had a kid uh from madison like two years ago played on ruben team, tomaso tomaso um he he won he played with me he wasn't getting the most time with madison and everything like that i guess you just down in the pecking order tim comes to play for me just Plays great. I mean, had multiple 20-point games. It was frying dudes, hezzying, getting in and out, picking and roll, making good reads. Um, dude, I, I had another kid, Skyler, who played from from Del Barton. He Skyler Venezia. He's at um Dickinson now. Had no Kyle Darvers coming into it that I knew of. I didn't even start the kid for the first half of the season because I thought he was a jackass. If I'm just being honest. Yeah, and and he knew I thought he was a jackass. And he, every practice, he'd be like, when are you going to start, start me? When are you going to start me? I finally start him. And it, he is one of the best ISO players I've ever seen in my life. I didn't know. Like, I knew he was talented, but I thought he'd take bad, he took bad shots, but I didn't like. I was trying to coach that out of him. He was better. But, man, that kid is offensively. I mean, one of the best offensive players I've ever seen him. Close, he's so good at breaking down defenders. And now he plays at Dickinson. It, it came together for a late. He's a late bloomer, right? Um, so there's a lot of stories like that I have. Like that, that's the most rewarding part, seeing these kids step into themselves, get put good film out there, you know, have fun with it. Hey, a lot of players wish they could play through their mistakes. That's not the case often, unless you're, you're the Derrick Roses of the world, you're the LeBrons of the world, you're the Kobe Bryants of the world. If you, Troy Brown Jr., nine times out of 10, you don't get to play through your mistakes. <laughs> it is what it is you know you on a short leash pat bev you you on a short leash so that's that's an ideal coach to play for if it's up to me like you let me play through my mistakes now obviously i know you've had to pull people all right that's six mistakes in a row bro like come on all right at some point you want to try to win the game but it's like the the get the risk and reward factor you know alex potts is a big is a big example of that right um kid came in all he wanted to do is shoot threes I hated it. I didn't like watching it. I wasn't a fan of it. <laughs> I couldn't get behind it. But he could shoot, and he was confident. And, and there was you could tell there was more to his game than that. And he he was a good listener. So we we had, we could build something. There was something to build there. Um, from tournament one to tournament four, there was a big difference in the way that he approached the game and played the game for me. But it, it, it was me and his ear telling, "Hey, you get downhill, let's get to floaters. Let's get let's get let's get in the paint. Let's kick let's kick it out. Right, create for the people like." play the game the right way 
and your shooting is icing. You, 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 the fact that you can shoot like that will send you, will send you to college. I told him that. If that's going to send you to college, you're going to play for somebody because you can shoot the hell out of the ball. But you got to make other guys better. That's part of it, too. You can't just be a guy at, at 5'10 who's just going to walk in and shoot the ball, you know, just be Reggie Miller. Like, that's not what you want to do. I'm telling you, you don't want to be put in that box. All right? Like, and so his game and the way it's – like I, even this season at Lincoln, he's playing – he's getting the games where he has like 10 rebounds, eight steals, like four or five assists. And I'm like, that's, that's the influence I made on that kid. Like I see it. I, I see it. It's so rewarding to see that man, like more so than the college offers because that stuff will come true for a kid as talented as he's talented. It's just, you, he needed someone who believed in him enough to let him play through mistakes. He's going to make mistakes. You're telling a kid to, who doesn't normally pass to pass the ball. He's going to turn the ball like, like hell. He's going to turn it over crazy. You gotta let them go, go, you know, go through that. You know what I mean? Um, so it, it's it, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of fun to, to kind of have to go through that, man. And I, I took a kid from Livingston, and I'm I'm rambling, but I took a kid from Livingston, uh, Nuvik Das. He he didn't play a minute in varsity the uh, the year before he came to play for me. And he I, he asked me he actually asked me to train him. I I knew him from the Y. He asked me to train him. I trained him in the summer. Told him trial for unity. He tried out. He had an amazing. I mean, dude, you would love this kid. You may have seen him when you came out to my practices. But he he makes all the right plays. He gets him to the floor for loose balls. He makes the hockey pass. Right. He's not trying to get the assist by passing it to you. He wants to make the right play. He's always in the middle of things, getting the ball. Just just a winner in every way. And he knocks down the three ball in a nice clip. Right. Like I love that kid. And he, because of that opportunity, because he came to play for me and had a good season, got good stuff on film. Now he goes to Darrow Institute up in New York and he's playing prep school ball with a good chance to play college basketball when he never thought that'd be possible. And every time I see his, every time I see his parents, his parents, it's like, it's like, you know what I mean? You would think I'm, I'm the second, I'm, I'm Noah or something. Like you think I'm the second arc, the second coming of whoever the greatest thing, human being on earth is it, it there because the influence and in what I was able to do for that kid is crazy. But I, I, it, it doesn't make my head big. It, it makes, it just, it makes me happy. Like I, because I wish I could have somebody left for me. So I'm, I'm just doing it for the people. That's what I'm doing. Right. I don't do it. This for damn sure. I don't do coaching for the money. <laughs> There's not a lot of it. I don't do it for, <laughs> I don't do it for the travel and none of that stuff. There's no perks, man. There's no, there's no crazy perks. I get nice gear. I only do a good job of gear, but it, it's because of these kids and that's really why I do it. It's so much fun, man. When you when you look at it, obviously you just mentioned like you know the perks is really the gear. But at some point, do you see yourself possibly doing this like as a full time thing? Like if a high school offered you something, or if a college offered you an assistant coach position or something like that, could you see yourself possibly doing a full time coaching? I've been thinking about this a lot for a long time. Uh, I don't know how much those guys get paid. Something tell them to keep my job my full-time job. Uh, I think high school coaches keep the full-time job. But if, I, if high school came calling with a job offer, I, I, would, I would strongly consider it. I would strongly consider doing it. Um, it, it, it it's, I never thought I would, but I've been going to watch a bunch of high school games, especially this year, as you know, uh, kind of looking at kids, watching kids play. Um, and I've come to the conclusion that – if those guys can coach, I can coach. I think there's a lot of bad coaching going on in New Jersey high school basketball. I'm just being real. It's not me tooting my horn. I'm just being, I'm just keeping it in the buck. It's, it's the way the game is being coached. 
I, I, you're not, you're seeing a whole lot of coaches not letting guys play through mistakes. And I, I can't, and, and meanwhile, you're on nine or whatever you are, you know, you're not, you're not winning a bunch of games. So, uh, you know, I think there's a bunch of kids that would love to have, kind of have a coach who would let them play through mistakes and be a little more free and easy in that way. Um, I think it'd be a cool, interesting next chapter to kind of take in the coaching space. I would strongly consider it. There was a time where I would have told you, hell no, but I, I'm leaning more towards like, if, if I ever came along, I'd do it. I, I would definitely do it. Now you, you ain't been coaching 10, 15, 20 years, 25 years, but in this coaching game, whether it's on a professional level, the college level, shoot, AAU level, who are some of your inspirations when it comes to coaching? Like I know who your inspiration was when you were playing ball, who you were looking at, especially left-handed ballers. On the coaching side, though, who are some people that you are inspired by, that you pay attention to as coaches? Yeah, I mean, now more so than anything, I guess, in the, on like an NBA level, I'd say I, I watch more a lot of, you know, what Papa Bidges did with those early Spurs teams. I think Steve Kerr is a basketball genius. He does a great job with the system he has in place. I believe in playing out of action more so than playing out of set plays. So I like to, I like to like kind of install actions these guys can go and play out of because you're not overthinking the game. You're just, you're just playing if you're playing out of actions, right? Like pick and roll, like a dribble handoff, like uh back screens like those things are simple so it allows guys to be the best version of themselves because they're not constantly thinking about where they should be they're thinking about they're just playing it's, it's a free-flowing that thing so steve kerr and popovich are the kings of that you know you're not seeing them call a whole bunch of plays they don't they don't they're not over they're not over coaching right it's very simple because <laughs> basketball is simple i think that's the thing that people uh get lost on so those guys are two guys i look i definitely look up to um on a much smaller level, uh, Coach Mategno over at Blair, um, he, he does an amazing job. He's come to a couple of our practices with me in Wellington and talked to the kids, talked to us about how he coaches over at Blair and what his, his philosophies are. It's a lot of what I'm talking about. He also was a Team USA coach. It's a lot of that. Coach, you coach out of action, right? You're playing out of action. You're not going to play out of set plays as much. I'm not going to call Michigan and you guys are going to run 50 different back cuts and screens. It's never, it's not going to be that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do the, the seat and all prep thing where we have a Princeton offense and that is playing out of action. So I should, you know, give them credit, but it's not even that much. It's not even that much structure, you know, like it's just, I want to give you a framework. You go, you play out of it and be a, and be you, be the genius you are on the basketball court, be the best version of yourself on the basketball court, make plays. It's about you, not me. And, you know, I'm there to guide you when you need it kind of situation. So those three guys are, are big. And obviously Wellington watching him coaches was really important really early on, really important early on. Wellington, I learned a lot from the way he and he interacts with the players. It's definitely more free flowing the way he coaches too. So I think I was watching that. I was able to kind of pick up on those things and, and implement that in the way that I chose to coach guys. Um, but he was a big influence on the way that I approach it for sure, for sure. So definitely Wellington as well. And some of those, some of those principles he has playing super fast. I don't do all the pressing he does, but all playing super fast. Um, that's something that I took from him too. So he's definitely a big influence on me for sure. You've been on the player side from a coach's perspective. What makes a player coachable? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can tell you what doesn't make someone coachable. What, what, I mean, what does is um, their willingness to to embrace the criticism, the criticism you're giving them, right? Because it's, it's always going to be constructive. I'm not going to be out here cursing you out on some, you know, and demoralizing you. 
but not just that, but accepting the role that accepting the role to help. Here's what it is. If you're a player is coachable, if they accept the role that allows the team to be the best version of themselves, right? If they are about the team's success as opposed to their own success, if they're about, if they're not worried about their numbers, right? They're worried about the team winning games. So cliche, something everybody says, but damn, like it, it's, it is, it's a sickness in basketball right now. How many kids just only give a care about themselves at the end of the day? They care if they, you know, they can score 30 and they, and you lose every game, but they score 30 every game and that's all they care about. Right. So I, I hate that. I, I have no patience for it. I struggle. I struggle with the kids who, who are like that because like, that's not what this is about at all, at all. Like um, it's why I tell people all the time and I've been, and I've, I've been saying this forever, you know, I don't care who, I don't, you can beat someone one-on-one 50 times in a row and it doesn't make you a better basketball player than them because basketball is a team sport. And so if you get a walk on the court with five other guys, you have no idea what you're doing, can't play with them, right? You have no idea how to play with those guys. Then I'm going to take the guy who you just beat three times in a row because he probably is better. He's, he, he could be a better team player than you, right? Um, that's really what it is, man. I mean, that's, it's about the guy who embraces what comes with winning, the sacrifice that comes with winning. That's what, that's what makes a guy coachable. Do you embrace that or do you not? Because most guys don't want to win. They, they say they want to win, but then when you have to do when it's time to do what you have to do to win a basketball game, you know, you, you'll find out real quick who's all about themselves or, and who's actually coachable, right? Uh, I've had these conversations a million times with guys. Like, I can name, you know, I'm not going to name examples, <laughs> examples but I, it, it's, um, it's a work in progress, especially with kids at that age. You know, they, they don't know. They're not, and, and that's another thing. I mean, these guys are coming from high school basketball programs, right? And you would think that they would know what it, what it takes to be a winning player, and they don't. So what are you teaching at these high school basketball, at these high school basketball programs? Like, what, do you, what are these high school coaches doing? These guys don't know what it takes to win. These guys don't care about what it takes to win. That's not their primary focus. I, I can't get behind that. Little, and if you ever win, when, when you win as a team, everyone eats. Everyone gets an offer. Everyone's going to do well, right? But people don't really understand that. So anyways, I'd say that's what kind of constitutes being coachable. Yeah, we already touched on that too. Like, hey, if we winning, that means there's scouts here to look at everybody. Like, right. You right. possibly could get an offer because, hey, we're winning. So there's a scout here that might be here for the starting point guard, but you just went off of 40. You just had a double double. You just had the game saving block and you had three charges. Come on. People, yo, people be forgetting. There's a guy named Alex Caruso that leads the league in charges and is getting paid like, like $40 million. Most of the day, he's averaging like five, four, and four, but he's in the league. Alex Caruso is, is deemed untouchable by the Bulls. The Bulls don't want to trade him. They're willing to trade Zach Levine, but not trade Alex Caruso. What does that tell you? That what I'm saying is right. What you're saying is right. That, that it's, that's more valuable than someone who scores a bunch of points. Like the person who makes all the winning plays, the Anuvik Das of the world, like that, that's what you need. Like I'm telling you, bro, like people don't, they don't understand. Before we, before we go to the, the last segment, right? I got a twofold question. What would you change about AAU basketball? And what would you change about basketball as a whole? Yeah. AU, I mean, I, um, I, I think what I change about AU is how the singular focus in it, um, right? This is gonna be a convoluted answer, but this is the singular focus in it. All these kids, 
And all these parents, a lot of them only focus on their, their kids, right? And I get it. But a lot of these people come into these AAU teams, these, you know, these programs, and every spring they walk out there with the same expectation that their kids going to be walking to stardom and they're going to be a star and, and their version of stardom is very narrow-minded. It's, it's like, oh, well, you know, he's an average 20, over 20 points and killed the circuit and he's going to get a bunch of offers. You know, I think it's just very narrow um minded uh, in terms of how they view success so i i would i would change that i would change the the, the, de the definition of success um i would change that um for sure and, and say that you know it it's more than that it's kind of a kid stepping into his role and whatever that role is within winning and, and if you if he does that you've got a good situation in your hands and you're gonna you're gonna see success from that so i, I would say it's kind of why i view it just a more team oriented approach basketball overall I, I, you know what? I talked to you about this. I would change the whole bucket getter mentality nonsense. I would change the whole, like, you know, I, I hate that. I hate that. It's important to be able to create your own shot to get a bucket that's fun, but being able to create for other people is equally as important, if not more important. And being able to understand how to make game winning plays at, from all, from all spots on the floor is even the most important thing, being able to be a winner. Being a winner is making game-winning plays, diving on the ball for a lose ball, uh, understanding team defense, making the extra, like, you make the extra effort on defense, right? You rotate out to, you know, help, you know, you, you want to play help defense. Um, you, you just, die, you know, diving into passing lanes when you have an opportunity, right? Just it, getting, dirt, getting dirty, getting on the glass, right? Getting on the glass, taking the charge when it's there. Those things are more important than anything else. So I would say, I would, the whole the bucket getter mentality ruins basketball only for me because you have kids that walk in and they can score like crazy and it's like that's all they want to do and they don't want to do anything else and they have a bad day shooting the ball god forbid they're, they're, they're literally they can't play they can't play you know so i think and they're not getting guys guys involved so everybody else has no rhythm and we all struggle as a team so i i would say that's what i'd get rid of in basketball for sure last one before we go through right You've been able to connect with players, connect with young players, which a lot of people have a hard time doing. You've been able to see your players get better. You've been able to see some players go on to college and play college ball, which the big picture with that is the fact that some of these kids are now getting full rides and getting an education for free, which is the bigger picture and more important thing that a lot of people as athletes, which I've been guilty of, and we know plenty of athletes that just, oh, I just want to play ball. If you're able to get the education for free too, that's a huge, huge factor, huge plus. All of that encompassed. What would you say if you had to point to one thing, two things that has helped you succeed as a coach? Um, I, I think, I think I've been able to draw on my experience playing basketball a lot. <laughs> and so I get where these kids are coming from. I get the frustration of, every, of, of the kid, right? I, I relate a lot less to the super, to the, the kid who's super talented and playing every minute on the court uh, than, than I do to the kid who's sitting at the end of the bench. I relate more to that kid than I do to the kid that's playing a ton and a, a star, you know? Um, but I think that's been helpful because I understand exactly what that kid feels how they can get better. And I understand, but at the same time, the kids who, who are playing a ton for me and they're are the star, right? Like they're also in their own right, they're underdogs because they're not, they're playing, they're playing for me. They're not playing for 
an EYBL circuit. They're playing for, for us, a grassroots program, right? Uh, not to talk bad about Unity at all, but it's, you know, it's, we don't have the Nike, we don't got the Nike sponsorships and all that. We're not flying on PJs. So, yeah, I think I relate to all these kids because at the end of the day, they're all underdogs. They, they, they're not known, right? And I would relate, relate, relate to those kids from that aspect because that's what I was. So I, I get it. I get it. At the same time, I think also what, I, what I've been able to take from my experience playing basketball is that is my evolution of how I play basketball now, how I see it. I don't see basketball the same way I saw it when I was eight, 18 even. Like, I don't see it the same way. Now I see it from a how do I just – how do I get wins? Like, how do we win? Like, what do I do to win a game, right? Um, from a skill – the training helped me a lot, training kids, because I understand individual, like, skills and breaking that down and how to – how to, imp- how to implement those things into a, a kid's game to make him better, to kind of amplify the things they do really, really well. Like, I understand that too. So I can, I can on the fly with a kid, be like, yo, this is what you should add this to your game. It'll change everything. And it does. Like, it, it works. Um, so I think those two things have been big. But from the people part, because coaching, the hardest thing about coaching is, is the people part of it. And, and connecting with the people, like you said, it's because I, I relate to a lot of them. I really, I understand. Like, I get it. I, I don't talk, I don't bullshit, I don't BS them. I talk to them, you know, um, the way that they would want to be talked to like an adult. And, and at the same time, I, I, under, I can relate to them. So when I talk to them, they know it's coming from the heart. It's not coming from a place where I'm like trying to get rid of them or like the people know I'm, I, I mean, it means something to me. So I think, I think that's kind of where, where, where I've had the success. We're going to go to the last segment. We're going to call it the fourth quarter, 2023, the fourth quarter. This is the last segment. We're going to ask some questions, break down some other things, a little bit of rapid fire within here. You mentioned, you know, if a high school, the right high school, call the money right, this is right, I might consider it. What's your dream coaching job? Oh, man. Dream coaching job. I don't even know that I, I look at this that way. I mean, if I had if I had the choice, um, I, I think there are a lot of places that could call that would be interesting. You know, I I would intrigue me. Um, would you want it to be on the high school level, the professional level? Like, what I would mean, that look like for you? It, it, yeah, I mean, if we're talking about professional and college and all that stuff, right? I mean, it, it, that's certainly more of a commitment. First of all, second of all. If that's the case, it's going to be an assistant to start, which is fine because I still have so much more to learn. Like, it's not like I'm some basketball genius, I would say, right? Like, there's a lot to learn. Um, I guess if we had to do dream for hypothetical purposes, an assistant job at UNC would be insane. You know, something like that. That'd be insane. Um, but a head coaching job on a, on a small, I mean, and this would be just as big of a deal, getting a head coaching job at just about any high school where my life wasn't in danger. Because the school was just that bad, you know. If you, if, as long as you're not calling me from Newark or something like that, we could talk about it. <laughs> and that'd be that'd be a dream come true. Let's just put it that way. I ain't got to walk through metal detectors to get into your school. I ain't got to dodge bullets. I ain't, that's that's the biggest thing. Yeah, nah, nah, that's facts because it's a, it's a it's already more than X and X and O's with coaching. But then if you're coaching in a in certain certain areas in New Jersey, it's more. Come that's on. even that's a bigger coaching job because yeah. you you talking about your life and the lives of your players like you got to be on the on the lookout for that's not that's something different yeah. that's not, to I'm be able to just play 
as coach, that that's an ideal situation right there. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I just want to be with a coach, you know. So if he, so if East Hanover calls me, oh great, let's do it. You know, <laughs> if Livingston calls me, great, let's coach, let's do it. That's a dream come true, man. Like, just, just don't call me from, don't call me from Camden. Don't, don't do that. This is like the high, Camden. Yeah. If you could coach any NBA team in history, what team would you coach? Oof. Any NBA team in history. You want that 2015, 2016 Cavs team? I, you want coach the Kobe Shaq era? That's funny. I don't want to coach Kobe Shaq because I would hate to be in the middle of whatever the hell they had going on. Those two were going to be hard to get along, uh, to make them get along, get along anyways. And Kobe seems like a savage. Uh, like the guy rest his soul. But um, I, I think that, that first Miami team, the one that lost, in the finals to Dallas. I think I'd want to coach that team. <laughs> I, I, getting LeBron to shoot throughout the season would have been a big emphasis. It would have been interesting to see how that worked. I think LeBron would have hated me as a coach. <laughs> oh, but yeah, or kind of get me fired. I'd be fired. But yeah, I, I think um, I think that would be the team I'd want to coach is that team. I think that that team had so much untapped potential. Um, and it was for stupid reasons, like LeBron taking a backseat to Dwayne Wade, which is just ridiculous on so many levels. Um, so I think that would be the team I'd want to coach and try to snap them out of that nonsense and get a, get him a fifth ring. Down to, as a coach, right, what's your philosophy in that situation? Are you going to draw up a play to win or are you going to draw up a play to tie? Uh, I guess it depends, on, it depends on how the game is going. I'll be honest. I mean, I, I, I I prefer to play for the win, depending on how things are going. If guys are tired, um, if guys are tired and um, they, they, you know, we've had a long game and it's been a very up and down fast paced game and guys are constantly tugging on the jersey trying to get out of the game, we're going for the win because you can't play overtime. Um, but if it's been a pretty balanced game in terms of pace, I would probably go, I would go for, I would go for the two. Uh, to go overtime, and if I, it's, it's also depends on if I think we're better than them too. Like I know, you know, as a coach, like when you step out there, if you're outmatched. So if we're outmatched, and sometimes we are, I'm going for the win to get the hell out of there as fast as possible. So yeah, I, I'd say most of the time I'm going for the win. I'm usually, you know, what I mean, I'm I, I, my teams have been pretty talented, so you know, it, it's but I, I still prefer to go for that win if we can. Phil Jackson, Coach K, Greg Popovich. Who are you going to keep as the head coach? Who are you going to make the assistant coach? And who are you going to fire? Greg Popovich, head coach. Phil Jackson is the assistant coach. K is, what was he at the door, you said? Yeah. Yeah, he's at the door. <laughs> he's at the door. Oh, yeah, speaking of, you mentioned UNC. Hey, Hubert Davis, we got to make that happen. I know you got, I know you got a position on the staff. Y'all been up and down this season. I'm a UNC fan. Y'all might need Greg there. Y'all might need Greg at the practices to help out because y'all not y'all not playing up to y'all potential this year. Really y'all really are. And y'all y'all really upset me watching these UNC games. Y'all y'all making y'all making me mad, bro. Because uh, we should be a top five team. Easy. I struggle. I struggle watching that kid Caleb Love play because he's exactly he's the bucket getter kid I, I I talk about. Um, I don't I don't like he he is talented and everything, but he's not efficient at all. And it's tough to watch him play, man. I, he, the only way he affects basketball the game is by scoring. It is, he, he's not scoring. He's not doing anything. So that's why that, that's a big part of the reason why they're struggling. 
I, I think that's there's something there for sure. Who would you say is the number one college recruit this year? Are you having DeWan Wagner Jr. as the number one? Who's your number one college recruit? From what I, I mean, just the best, the best player in the high schools can't land, like the best. The, um, wow. I think it's between DJ Wagner um, or I would go with the kid Dylan Harper, man. Dylan Harper is, yeah, I'm not saying because he's lefty. That's just, that's icing on the cake. The, the kid is really good, fluid, can score at all levels, obviously, which is like, that's like, that's like the Timothy Iceberg stuff for those guys that are that good. But seems to just make the right play, too. Seems to make when he's out there. I like him. I like him a lot. So I'd say between those two guys, um, I don't like giving you a straightforward answer. But DJ Wagner has been like the consensus guy for the longest. He's actually not number one in the class anymore by the numbers, by the rankings. But I, I would say that he's still probably the best player. And then Dylan Harper's right there behind him um, that I've seen anyways. I've seen. Outside of Victor Wimbenyama, who would you say is the number one NBA prospect coming into next year? Are you looking at Scooter Henderson? Mm-hmm. Who, who do you see as a number one player? Scooter Henson's crazy. That kid, Eamon, Eamon Thompson is crazy too. Uh, from, but uh, the kid that I, the kid that I've been paying attention to um, a lot is at Baylor, Keontae George. Keontae George, I love a lot of the things he's doing. I love his game because it's hard to find kids who are, who are natural bucket getters like he is, who can score at all levels and it's effortless to him. But then also he plays the right way. He, when he off the catch, he's making 0.5 second decisions which is inc- incredibly important to playing efficient basketball. Like you catch the ball and you kind of know I'm making the comic and the swing. I'm getting, I'm coming off the, I'm, I'm going right into my action, getting right to the screen or I'm jabbing. Like he just knows he attacks quick and, and, and decisively, but he doesn't just attack for himself. He attacks to get other guys open and make a play for other guys. Cause at Baylor, they coach basketball the right way. They do a great job. They did. They, they just do. Uh, which is why they've been one of the best basketball programs in the country for a while now. So I like him a lot. I like him a lot. I think he's a kid that I would say, outside of those, everyone else you named, him and Brandon Miller from Alabama was really good too. Um, but I'd say he is the kid that I would look at, like if I, he, you could justify him going number one overall. I think after all the workouts are done, like there'll be a conversation, like not him, obviously he's not going number one. The kid, the freak from France is going number one, but he would go number two or three. He's gonna, he's gonna be a top three pick, I think when it's all said and done, he's that good. That Keontae George kid, he, he's the real deal. Before we get you out of here, right? Now, all the NBA teams have played pretty much at this point, at least 41 games. We're at the halfway point, essentially. Who do you see as the favorite to win, win it all? And who do you have as your MVP as of right now, pretty much at the halfway point of this NBA season? Um, the, favorite to win. <laughs> the favorite to win it all is tough. Uh, Celtics are my favorite to win it all. I think they're the best team in basketball by a mile, by a mile right now. Um, I think the rest of the team that's going to be that that can contend is injured and dealing with injuries. You know, I don't trust the Warriors. I'm not buying stock there. No one can get no one can get me to do that um, at all. The West the Western Conference is wide open, uh, but I think the Celtics are the best team in NBA basketball. I don't think that's much of a debate. If I was going to pick an uh, MVP candidate this year. Um, I don't know, man. People are gonna call me crazy. I, I, I think what Brian is doing right now is crazy, bro. 
I think what Ron is doing right now is insane. I, I don't know where they are in the standing. I think they're probably still 11th or 10th. I, I don't think they're in the play the play game yet, but or you would be if you were 10. But if that team makes it to the play in, seriously, there's no justification for anybody else being the MVP besides him because he's literally fulfilling all of like that's what the MVP means, most valuable player. He is dragging a team that would be a G League team under most circumstances to relevancy and to the playoffs to playing meaningful basketball games in the spring when that team is horrible man like it's it, 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 that team is bad they're not good and, and you know for that when and gabriel's getting big minutes for them i you know he plays hard i god bless him but come on like what are we talking about what are we talking they, about a game back from the 10th seed they're yeah, i mean come on man like what bob's doing with them is insane it, it's it's really ridiculous what he's doing. So he won't win MVP because people don't look at it that way. Hey, someone like Jokic will win it. Someone like Jason Tatum will win it. Even Luca will get consideration and, and win it, right? Uh, even though I think Luca's a big part of the problem with them, actually, as opposed to the solution. But that's a whole different conversation. I, I think LeBron is serious. There's some serious MVP conversation for him. And in this part of his career, he doing what he's doing. He had 48 other night. Like, it's just it's ridiculous what he's on. Yo, the crazy thing is, like you said, the West is so wide open. They are only two games out of that six seed. That's the that's how wide open the West is. If they could get, if they could make a trade, if AD could come back at some point, the Lakers could make a little run. I don't think LeBron will get MVP. I think we're hearing all the all of the people talking about Yoke is getting that third one, mm-hmm. number one seed right now. Nobody expected the Denver squad, especially with Murray. He don't look like himself fully yet. He's still recovering. Mm-hmm. Porter Jr. is still on the – so I would love to see LeBron get it. I think he'd be the oldest MVP ever. And, again, the Lakers are – the Lakers should be – they should have, like, 12 wins this year. But because of LeBron, they don't have that. Yeah. I do want to before you get out of here because we I, I I am very much on the same page and I just love to hear your your viewpoint on this and I'd love to be able to post this for some content. Mm. Please touch on before we close out. Please touch on how Luca is the problem in Dallas because a, a lot of people don't a lot of people don't see it. <laughs> I I watched Luca play in person about two weeks ago and he's a basketball genius. He's incredible. He's he's he is there's not enough good things you can say about Luka Doncic and how how brilliant he is as a basketball player. He's amazing, seriously. One of the best players I've ever seen play a post in my life. Um, but when you dominate the ball that much in the roster where you have other guys that can create up the bounce, like Spencer, Spencer Dinwiddie can legitimately play out of pick and rolls and, and create for other people. I watched it in Brooklyn for years. I know he can do it against the highest level of competition. He's a really good basketball player, a fringe all-star guy. We let him really play basketball the way he wants to play basketball. But all you ha- all they have him doing is he stands in the corner and he's shooting threes to the point where he's one of the best three-point shooter, three shooters from the corner in the NBA right now, statistically. You can't win that way. He, he's icing out his teammates the way he plays, all the dribbling. You're dribbling the clock down. Like he, it, 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 It's hard to watch because there are guys out there on that team that can help them. It was That's why Jalen Brunson left. Dylan Brunson didn't, didn't leave because he because New York was calling his name. Yeah, that's part of it, okay? But it was really because he couldn't play alongside Luka Doncic. He couldn't become the player he needed to become, right? The all-star he, was, he, he is now. 
playing with Luka Doncic. That's the reason why we are where we are, right? Um, Luka just dominates the ball way too much. You're right? It's just too much dribbling. It's too much dribbling the clock down. It's too much. His post-ups take forever. You know, he takes forever to get to his move, right? Because it's, it's, it's purposeful. He, he plays slow. But while you're doing that, you're icing out your teammates. And, and, when, they, and when they play bad, uncoincidentally, it's, it looks horrible. They're not making any shots because no one else is in rhythm because no one else can be in rhythm because Luca has the ball in his hand the entire game, literally. Like, he's not sitting. And he's complaining to them about getting an upgrade and all that stuff. He wants the team to upgrade. But it's like, if you, if you bring Zach Levine in, you guys aren't going to mesh because you're, you, you, the way you play, you're going to turn him into a spot-off shooter. He's not, he's not with that. So it's just a hard situation all around. Luca is very much James Harden, very much Kobe Bryant, those years where everybody was wondering, why nobody want to go play with Kobe? This is exactly this is exactly why. And I don't think any star, unless Luca changes game, is going to want to go play with Luca and basically stand in the quarter. Don't nobody have no problem like Paul George and Kawhi. Paul George, like, I'm number two. I got no problem being number two. Mm-hmm. People have a problem being that talented and have to be basically go stand in the corner and watch me get work. And then, as you said, which people completely, completely forget because either they don't play ball or they don't know basketball. You want me to stand in the corner for the first 20 seconds of the shot clock and then pass it to me. And I'm just supposed to be able to make it immediately, not in rhythm. I didn't touch the ball at all. I haven't touched the ball three straight possessions now because you're getting double team, kick it out. Why don't you make it? Mm-hmm. I'm not in. I'm, I'm not in rhythm. You don't even let me rebound the ball, Luca. Mm-hmm. You get your triple doubles, very Russell Westbrook esque. You gonna get your triple doubles. You gonna get your rebounds. I'm not even in rhythm. But you can make the case he's a selfish player. You're passing the ball to a guy to get the assist. You're not passing it to him for the hockey assist to make the next best play. You can make the case. You can make the, a real case that that guy's selfish. Triple doubles and assist numbers don't mean anything to me. I thought the years where Rondo averaged assists, you know, crazy assist numbers with the Celtics. I thought he was a little selfish those years. I, was, I used to say people get mad at me. But I, you, I think if you pass the ball to someone with the expectation you're getting an assist, that's the definition of selfish. Because you know, you know exactly what you're doing, right? You know, you, you know it's going to impact your numbers, right? It's about if, you, if you're playing the game and, not, and there's no thought. That's why I admire LeBron James so much. Because LeBron, for all those years, there was never a selfish bone in the guy's body. He made the right play. 95% of the time, that's just who he was. He would pass the ball to you to get it to the next best play, uh, best option. Sometimes he's such a good pass for you, he get it to you and it'd be a sin of skiss because it's such an easy look for you. You just created such an easy shot. You know what I mean? But he made the right play every time down. Like it was, that was his genuine intent. I, I, that's why I appreciate him because it, nowadays you, you see guys like Luca come along and they're like, oh, I look up to LeBron. No, you don't. You, you don't play like him. You don't play like him anyways. Yeah, that's 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 just what it is. You don't, but you and know. every everybody and their mother, whenever it was a chance, will love to go play with Bron. Everybody and their mother, and you can't say everybody is signed up to play with Luca, right? You already know the vibes. If you stay ready, you don't got to get ready. Bench mob, ENT, we out. Peace. Peace.